Hi, everybody. This is Pasha Marlowe. Welcome back to the NeuroQueering podcast. I am excited to bring to you today Dr. Rachel Allen. Rachel is a holistic psychologist and a pleasure expert and the author of The Pleasure is All Yours. And I think you are the only so far returning guest from my original podcast, which was Let Pleasure Be the Measure. So here we are again talking around the same topic, a little bit more uh, specialized in the neurodiversity field. But thank you for coming back. I'm so well, I'm, I'm honored to know that I'm like the first repeater. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like on Ellen when she's like, oh, you've been on my show <laughs> 10 or 100 times. You're going to be that person. Whenever I rebrand, I'll be like, let's bring Dr. Ellen back. Sweet. Well, I'll keep it interesting. I'll keep it unique each time. Well, it kind of speaks to our ADHD because of course we're pivoting all the time. You know, what we learn, we integrate into our, into our work. And I think for you and I both, we were on the uh, path of pleasure, thank goodness. And then I don't know about you, but I, since then became diagnosed with ADHD and autism. And now I'm just all in, in the, in the world of neurodivergence and neuroqueerness. Uh, when were you diagnosed? Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD, I guess maybe it was probably about 10 years ago. So I was in my mid to late thirties. Mm-hmm. And is uh, that, that's still considered late, late in life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. oh, yeah. Cause you already had packed in a few decades of not really knowing that that's what, what you had and being confused. And maybe, you know, the, when it's undiagnosed, those other compensatory behaviors and, but, um, yeah, so and I and the clarity continues, even though it's been about a decade since I was diagnosed. It's like this, I'm still learning, still adapting. Life is about adapting and and integrating, right? Absolutely. And in only the last couple of years, I feel like uh, you know, we've been able to find more resources on the experience of women with ADHD. And Finally, yeah, it's like here, here about time that now we're actually women are being researched and we're, you know, and being asked and, and discussions are happening. And so now it's, I, I'm really happy that finally, like we're having this conversation on how it uniquely specifically impacts women compared to men. Absolutely. And a lot of my, and I'm 52 postmenopausal. So of course that's my lens now. So a lot of my clients are in that menopausal uh, range and, oh my goodness, did that change their ADHD symptoms and the efficacy of the medication and the emotional regulation? Do you find that a lot with your clients? Well, I, what I mainly find is that people that never had ADHD symptoms, they started to develop them in perimenopause and menopause um, and were really hard on themselves and really confused. And, but we understand that, you know, when there's less estrogen that impacts the amount of dopamine and um, serotonin and acetylcholine, which are all neurochemicals that really help with mood, with feeling balanced, with memory, because you had a lot of brain fog for memory um, irritability, um, even more kind of irritable or distracted. And so people who actually never had a diagnosis with ADHD were with struggling with a lot of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a whole nother thing that people don't talk about, right. Is met perimenopause and menopause, despite 50% of the population, um, getting to go through it, getting well, and what you just described sounds so much like a common menopausal experience. And so what do you think are the defining factors of menopause on ADHD? 
Well, like, like I mentioned, really struggling with memory and, um, and executive function, like really just being able to follow through. So it's, it's really all basically all the things that somebody with ADHD struggles with, but it's more exacerbated during. Um, and not to mention that there's just changes in one's body and changes in, um, you know, the, the look and the shape and the feel of the body. And given that women are socialized, that so much of our worth is all about youth and performative value and sex appeal. And then, and, that, and then women are really rendered invisible during that time of life and, and aging. So um, I'm really happy, though, that conversations and research is happening around women in midlife into perimenopause and menopause and with neurodivergency and how that impacts things and kind of the interplay of all this stuff. Um, and it's not like it's some death sentence. I think it's important, too, to remember like the, that there's some wonderful qualities, too. And you know, some people are like, you know, I give less fucks during this time of my life, too. And that's very freeing yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that. That happened for me at around 45. I was just like, huh, you know, I definitely give less fucks and I'm less concerned about the outward appearance and really fired up about advocacy and staying in alignment and integration with like my values and, and my truths. I, I assume yeah. that's a natural yeah. progression for the midlife woman. <laughs> well, I, ho- I mean, hopefully it is. Yeah. It's, Cause that's can be freeing. And I think it's really a return to more of our soul and authentic self versus some of yes. the other systems and structures that have led us to think that we have to, you know, believe certain things or care more about what other people think. But um but I do think that's maybe a good segue just into one of the things I love to make sure that women realize is that having ADHD is also a gift. And it, it, most women with ADHD are very creative. They're very uh-huh. intuitive. They have, because they are more, their senses are more sensitive. They're also, that can mean more of just kind of keen perception and awareness, and they can be real visionaries and sort of see mm-hmm. things outside of the box and untraditional ways. Um, they're, they can be good at multitasking. They've had to learn how, you know, and, and uh, well, and just in some ways, the brain is naturally wired that way anyway. Um, they can tend to be really playful, have a great sense of humor, um, to just be caring and thoughtful individuals because they are really dialed in in this more kind of sensitive, perceptive, intuitive manner. And that can lead to just a lot of empathy and kindness and caring. So, hey, we need these neurodivergent ADHD women of the world. And so dial that up. Absolutely. All of those gifts. And I, and I love that you brought up the intuitiveness too, because I feel like that's a kind of un untapped or unspoken of, uh, strength for, uh, neurodivergent people. Um, and also that we tend to be the, the dreamers and the seekers and sometimes the peacekeepers and peacemakers where, where we're, we're doing the work and we're willing to do the work. And we often try to repair, you know, our own selves, our families, the systems, like we're really, uh, advocates at heart. It feels like. Right. And I mean, that is such a necessary thing in mm-hmm. our society. And yet it's also can be misunderstood or to be, you know, to be different is sometimes challenging or there is the judgment or the, you know, hence circling back to trying to give less fucks about maybe what others think as long as we keep trying to yeah, be in alignment. Um, but it's it's yeah, we need this. The world needs this from us. And this is kind of how we serve. So it's just a nice reframe too. when sometimes, you know, people can have a lot of guilt or shame or confusion about how their brain works differently. 
especially as retired as I think you are retired perfectionists as, as we yeah. are <laughs> a lot of, a lot of masking, uh, as a, as a child and young adult to mask my deficiencies that now I realize are partly ADHD, but, uh, but yeah. And then letting go of that, that perfectionism and then maybe swinging the pendulum the other way to, uh, to really being, um, n- not, not like messy or reckless, but just far more awkward and, and, and stimmy and, um, you know, peculiar, quirky. I get a lot, but I didn't get that before. Uh, so it's interesting. Have you in your unmasking, do you present differently in your body? Do you embody ADHD differently after unmasking your perfectionism? That's a really, yeah, beautiful question. And given I'm, you know, this all about bodyfulness and somatic stuff, I, I I don't know that I've like really thought about it in those terms. Um, I, I think that I, I became a yoga teacher, gosh, was that like 15 years ago or something? And it's been just this kind of unraveling and, and in the best possible way of inner listening to my body and inner acceptance. And so I feel that I show up in a way that is like really tuned in with like what, what really needs attention right now. I mean, I certainly, you know, within my um, reactive moments rather, I definitely have these times where I get too stuck in my head, but by and large, like I let my body be such an inner guide more and more now. And whether it be about what I'm going to eat or drink or whether I'm going to be by myself or with somebody else or what kind of exercise to do or not. or So just all those little kind of micro changes day to day that just tune into like what like what's really coming up for me on an emotional and visceral level. And I think that's tied to that intuition, too, because intuition is very much in our bodies as well. Yeah, like intuiting what would be in the flow for me today, what kind of movement, what kind of food, rather than having a regimen. Uh, sometimes we're perfectionism, we're like, okay, Tuesday, Thursdays, I'll do cardio. Uh, Mondays, I'll start my kale smoothies or whatever the situation was. Uh, yeah. But I'm less like that for sure, far oh. more intuitive. And yes, and absolutely like showing up day to day in, you know, checking in like, Every day, our body has yeah different needs, our emotional body, physical body. So, for sure, being much more, I'm I'm not I'm really not rigid at all. I mean, to the extent that sometimes I need to have more boundaries, but much more about like, all right, going with the flow and what's what's the flow telling me today, um, and trying to accommodate that the best I can within a world that is not necessarily uh, going letting us go with the flow, a world that like expects you know more linear rigidity and rationality all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is why so many people with ADHD end up owning their own businesses, becoming entrepreneurs to kind of create the environment that we that we need to accommodate ourselves um, mm-hmm. and our desires, our needs, our boundaries, our limitations, and sensory overloads. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. 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 And luckily, we have the creative brains to pivot and be multi passionate and create new careers or jobs for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just as you're doing with your your podcast now. I I I have to keep moving forward. If I'm not a little bit scared or learning something new, my brain can shut down and I can go into like zombie couch depressed mode. And so I find that I need a little bit of a challenge and and risk taking uh to to stimulate things. That's just I, what I've learned about my brain. I don't take vacations well. I I want to be the kind of person who's just all in pleasure in relaxation and stillness, but I've learned that my pleasure is actually 
uh, a little bit of rest, but also maybe each day learning something new, whether it's through a podcast or an article or a book or a webinar, that's mm-hmm. in my pleasure. And so I kind of let go of the narrative that it has to be no work, just rest, all play. I, I've learned now that my play includes learning. Yeah. Well, curiosity. I love Pema Children, the the Buddhist philosopher. She always says that the key to a really engaged, vibrant life is to just is curiosity to always mm. keep you curious. So here, here to that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How has your uh, the the book you wrote, uh, "The Pleasure Is All Yours"? Uh, do you feel like if you were to write that again today, would you have a different lens? Because that's been a few years, right? It came out a year, almost a year and a half ago. So, but, Mm -hmm. but you you finish a book like a year before it even comes out. So I guess technically, yeah. Um, You know, I've, I've, I've gone a little bit more in the direction of bodyfulness because I realized that that is so core and foundational before people can, in my belief, get to healthy pleasures. And so I feel like if I would do it differently, I would just have a book all on bodyfulness first to be like, okay, read this. And then get to pleasure um, because it, without that foundation of really like being in the body, developing interoception, that like deeper body intelligence, um, then we can be coming to pleasure in misdirected ways or ways that are all about filling voids. Um, mm-hmm. So that would probably be the only thing I would do is just sort of flesh out some of the bodyfulness too. And like why we need kind of more than mindfulness. Um, but, but other than that, I, yeah, I still really believe in this message that we Pleasure is our birthright and given we need to unlearn all the blocks to that in the form of like repression and suppression and, um, you know, ways we've been taken out of our body. And um, there's I mean, there's just so much guilt and shame around like letting ourselves feel good, especially for women. So still trying to champion that cause. But but I am working on um, a bodyfulness course, which is going to be helpful for people with ADHD. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's in our bodies as well. And a lot of the ways people respond to ADHD when it's been undiagnosed, I mean, it, it it's, there can be, there are examples of trauma responses, like people pleasing, you know, so many women with ADHD, especially this undiagnosed ADHD, they compensated for being, you know, really extra like people pleasers because women are supposed to be nurturers, but all that people pleasing is its own trauma response and trauma lives in the body. And so bodyfulness is about helping with that to bring it back full circle to your question. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, two thoughts. One is that I've seen a lot of research recently, uh, that's it's sad, but there's a lot of unplanned pregnancies and a lot of sexual trauma that comes from that place of people pleasing and not setting the boundaries and and having um, noticed a lot of those trends in ADHD women who were undiagnosed. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's that's some sad research that's coming out, but it feels I understand I understand why uh, that that is a dynamic. Mm-hmm. But then the other aspect of that related to bodyfulness. Um, just for those listeners out there who've heard of mindfulness, but not necessarily bodyfulness, what do you what do you mean by that? Bodyfulness is really going to that what next. Mindfulness says, you know, like noticing like what's coming up mentally, but we also need embodied mindfulness of like what the body's saying as well. And then bodyfulness really says, like, what do we do with this information about what our thoughts and our body is telling us, like the what now? And it involves really developing agency as far as whether it be discharging practices, sighing, crying, um, Mm -hmm. 
movement and sweat um, or more containment practices like finding a weighted blanket or going into a child's pose to like really just feel that sense of groundedness and centeredness. And then from that place of agency, we can, we have these tools and are equipped to really own our right to feeling good and pleasure. Cause that's one of the hardest things to do after there has been trauma is to just let ourselves also feel joy and pleasure again. We think it's assumed like, okay, I'm sort of worked through the trauma. Now I'm good things will just come my way, but it's actually can be really hard to receive when yes. we've been constricted and we've been on guard and um, not just in our life, but intergenerational trauma that leaves us that way. So bodyfulness is a set of tools to really know what to do with the trauma in our body and those storylines that accompany it in order to then like receive, you know, different ways of feeling good and playfulness and liveliness and sensual pleasure and all, and of course, erotic pleasure too. Absolutely. And it, it's going to be so different for every person as they explore bodyfulness for one person, it, it might work through yoga or screaming or sweating or journaling or yoga or um, like um, cold therapy or just whatever. Like, do you, yeah. do you suggest people have just like kind of a Rolodex of ideas and then, and then try them, try them all and see what, what fits and what feels and flow for that day? Or how do you go about teaching somebody to choose what to do for body. Right. Absolutely. And that's where bodyfulness has been a little bit just confusing to try to explain is because I think people want like this formula, like something kind of really simple, right? We all want the life hacks and the quick fixes. And so, but really, I think that's where like the beauty and like the mystery and stuff of, of bodyfulness is, is like, here is like all these options, but now it's, up to you to explore and, and see what lands. Yeah. Is it sauna, cold plunge stuff? Is it foam rolling? And is it, you know, on which days or a time of day, or um, when you notice something emotionally come up in your body, what does, does crying help or does letting out, you know, big scream or shaking or um, going under the covers or going into a bath? I mean, it's, it's all about just allowing yourself to try these different things and just make the time for yourself to receive and, and see, but the beauty is that we are different every day and different responses and reactions. So there's a lot of, a lot of different options for how we can engage the body and engage the senses. Um, We just have to kind of get out of our own way and, and our head, we don't have enough time. Or a lot of times people think they need like a whole hour to do some embodiment. Um, Even just sprinkling in a few minutes here or there um, really retrains the reactive patterns in the nervous system and connective tissue. Absolutely. Like if you go in knowing you might only have a couple minutes to, let's say, take a cold shower and move through some trauma through that very brief cold therapy. If you're, if you're in, if your intention is to move through some trauma in those two minutes, then, then the two minutes is all you need. You know what I mean? So we don't necessarily have to put in a, the full hour of anything, even exercise. Sometimes I'll tell people, you know, don't delay exercise or movement because you don't have half an hour to put on your sneakers, go for a walk. Like, can you do 20 jumping jacks in place or shake your, shake your body a little bit or wiggle it out for 10 seconds, even like knowing that that's your intention to bring mindfulness or bodyfulness into your day. Right. Yeah. A little bit, little sprinkles, sprinkles. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like an all or nothing. Like I have to have 60 minutes or forget it. That's right. That's right. Right. Because we don't always have that (laughs) for sure. And what would you say in relationships? What are the trends or the themes that keep coming up for you in the realm of ADHD and and pleasure and bodyfulness uh, regarding relationships? Yeah. I think one of the things that's been helpful for women is to know that often women with ADHD in relationships have more of a rejection sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And 
that I think because they knew on some level, like, why am I reacting this way? Or why is this, you know, hitting me this hard or landing in me? Um, and I think also the rejection sensitivity can be just from, again, years of it maybe being undiagnosed and like knowing like what's going on here. Um, but but trying to help people in relationships to be kind of give their partners a heads up about some of their sensitivities, you know, whether it be like sense by sense sensitivities or also just past sort of um, sensitivities emotionally and in relationships by the ways maybe they were judged or misunderstood. Um, also just really being okay with like timeouts to be able to like go and, and recalibrate and like regulate again in their own yeah. way. As long as you tell your partner that you are like, you know, you are coming back. You're not just pitching out in order to go have that time out to see ya, you know, avoid this. Um, but really I think in relationships too, like only the fact that there are just some accommodations that you might, might need and, um, inviting them into that too, so that they can help you. And they, you know, they might not have ADHD, but they have some of their own probably requests and accommodations they might need too. So helping. Absolutely. Yes. I know very often when I work with couples where one or both is neurodivergent, there's sometimes when we, when we start, there's a perception on their end that maybe one person is the problem. <laughs> one person is like, okay, let's accommodate this one person. But then when we start to talk about access, intimacy, and, and everybody has their own uh, needs and desires and uh, that, that it's a conversation. And then all of a sudden it becomes far more of a, of an equal playing ground and um, egalitarian rather than this kind of patient non-patient or parent-child dynamic that happens so much in relationships where one or both is neurodivergent. Yeah, exactly. The parent-child and and that can impact desire mm-hmm. and intimacy. And, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, everybody's got their something. I mean, everybody's coming into the relationship with their stuff, whether it be about ADHD and neurodivergence, or maybe they have uh, some other attachment issue or addiction, or I mean, they're, yeah. they're all, their own quirks. Absolutely. And yeah, in whether it's in dating or in long-term relationships, the older you get, <laughs> the more you're going to need to accommodate and be patient and collaborate and talk about consent and boundaries and uh, triggers. Uh, that has to be part of the conversation as we get older because people are coming in with everything. Uh, yeah. But I always like to remind people, as it sounds like you do, that uh, ADHD is not a nor is any neurodivergence a uh, problem that must be fixed uh, or anything broken. It is simply a, a different mind. And uh, yeah. and I know that there's a lot of neurodivergencies that people do want to, uh, like with trauma uh, or brain injury uh, or epilepsy, want to treat. And that sometimes they're more pathologized, but I like the direction we're going in this field where it's less pathologizing the innate neurodivergencies that we're born with, such as ADHD, autism. Um, I like that that's the direction we're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to just get back to the question regarding and relationships, I mean, I think that um, with people with ADHD can be more reactive and that, that can be a gift at times, but then it can be challenging in a relationship if they might be more quick tempered, right? Mm. Like, because things are happening so fast and, but just as they can maybe be quick tempered, there can, it can also sort of, they can calm down sooner as well. And so I think helping partners recognize too, just like ride the wave a bit of this, um, and ultimately hope, hopefully everybody is finding some freedom from their reactivity, um, but it's just, we're all reactive creatures, but just, it, it can be a little bit more of a faster pace, 
kind of up and down of reactivity for the person with with ADHD because they're just things are happening quicker. Yeah, yeah. There's an intensity there, and uh, um, uh, very much uh, taking in a lot of stimulate stimulus at a at a time, and a fast, usually a fast mind with a lot of ruminations yeah. and and ideas at all times. Yeah. Uh, so it's really good for whoever out there is listening to be able to, whether it's through a podcast like this or a book or a, a TikTok video or a coach or a therapist to, to uh, have these conversations with your partners so that you can come to that place of understanding and, and acceptance uh, and empathy. And just as I was saying that there's can be more of a kind of sensitive system among the, all of the senses that that by that same token, we can then utilize our senses to soothe. And so mm. and partners, like we can know that our partners can know that as far as, okay, you know what, we don't need the TV on in the background. Let's put on maybe some classical music or here, let me, I'm going to give you this blanket that I know always kind of soothes you. And, and whether it be your partner helping you with that, or just us, you know, having agency to know that just as um, things outside of us can really trigger us, we also can take ownership and agency to like prepare plan and prepare with how sense by sense, we are going to soothe ourselves, right? We, by what we touch and taste and look at and hear, um, create an environment in which our senses are equipped with things that are soothing. Mm, yeah. That's a nice reframe that yes, we are, we are sensitive, but we can use those sensitivities, uh, to our benefit to really create that environment that works really well for us. I yeah. love that. I'm like picturing a partner giving me that really fuzzy blanket that I love. <laughs> I know. Like sweater. So oh, I know. I, I know. We both went cozy sweater today. I love it. I love it. So uh, how can people best reach you and find you if they want to see what you're up to or work with you? Well, yeah, I guess my website is probably the one-stop shop for most everything, which is Dr. Rachel Allen, Allen with a Y. Um, and then I do have my, my Instagram is also Dr. Rachel Allen. Those are the two main places, you know, with all the social media going, there's so many options. I, I just picked my one and that's mainly where yeah, I'm right. Rather than list and this and this. Yeah. You're easy to find, uh, on online. So I appreciate that. And I'll of course add the links, uh, in the show notes and yeah. Any, any final thoughts on all this? I'm sure in my next podcast, whatever that may be, we'll be back talking. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep, we'll keep growing on this. And well, I think yeah, we're just reminding yourself of those gifts mm-hmm. and that, you know, there's beauty, there's beauty in the symptoms too. The symptoms of what's coming up for us are also a gift to sort of tell us like, you know, where we need nurturance and nourishment and giving that to ourselves. And um, so it's, it's, not this death sentence or something's wrong. If you get this diagnosis, it's actually can be really freeing, really opening. Really, there can be some like ease to just like settle into. Okay, now now I understand this about myself, um, and and you know how can I channel this? Because because we really there are so many different things that can that the world can really benefit from as far as you know our the gifts of having ADHD and being neurodivergent, especially now in this uncertain world that we're living in, we have to pivot. And so, yeah, our, our brains and minds are are going to be uh, valued more, I think as time goes on. So, yeah. Super. Well, thank you so hey. much for joining me again. My pleasure. Yay. Pleasure to and the people. <laughs> pleasure to the people. Is that your tagline? Pleasure <laughs> yeah. to the people. I love it. I love it. Uh, for those of you out there listening, of course, it would be fantastic to do the whole rate share. What is it? Rate share 
uh, review, all the things, all the things. Um, but of course, anytime reach out, I'm super easy to find as well. Uh, I'd love to hear from you via email or messenger. Let me know you what, what you want to hear uh, a guest talk about. Let me know who you'd want to have as a guest on the podcast. And feel free to hop onto my website, poshmarlow.com to learn about my new neuro community, which is a year-long group coaching uh, program where we'll meet weekly for group coaching, hot seat coaching, and also co-working sessions. So I'm really excited to bring that continuous continuity and accountability for the new year. So, yay. So thank you, Dr. Allen and happy new year. Yeah. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Good to see you too. All right, everybody. Happy neuro querying. Before you go, I have a favor to ask. Please subscribe to this podcast. That way you won't miss an episode and it'll help me bring it to folks who need it most. Fellow ADHD minds out there, I know you're going to forget. I would too. So let's push that button now and subscribe. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bonus points if you spread the word of the NeuroQueering podcast by sharing it or reviewing it. Thank you. Also, if you want to see more of me, please follow me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at NeuroQueerCoach. Sign up for coaching at poshamarlo.com or to guest on my show or leave feedback, email at pasha at neuroqueering.com. Thanks all. Happy NeuroQueering. Enjoy your day.